Howdy and welcome back to Civil Creek Conversations. This episode is part two of a two-part conversation where Paul and Wyatt will discuss the necessity of work and rest and finding a balance between the two in a busy world. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest going back and doing so because we'll be picking up in the middle of our conversation in this episode. But regardless, I hope that you enjoy it. So that's work. Um, so you also said that we were made for rest and obviously there we're making the case that there is a balance to be found. And so I guess more specifically, what, what does God say about rest and how does he necessarily uh, maybe mirror or mirror that? Or well, so, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, we go back to the pre-fall um, paradise of God's creation. So he, he says to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. This is your work. But then in that same um, experience, he establishes the Sabbath. Six days you shall, you know, work, and then the seventh you shall rest. And he models that in the creative design. First six days, God creates the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, why? He didn't need to, He didn't need a break. He wasn't tired. He's just establishing a template for mankind that there's a rhythm to the pace at which we um, go about life. And so he models and he establishes and anoints this idea of Sabbath, and Sabbath is all about taking a break. It's about resting. It's not necessarily about not doing anything. Um, it's about um, moving away from that which you typically do by way of labor so that you can recreate or recreate, which is what the word means. In fact, that is the word, recreate is recreate. And so... Um, God's modeling a design of it's good, it's healthy, it's wise to take a break from your normal pursuits as a way to renew, refresh, replenish your soul. Again, for the purpose, not as an end in of itself necessarily, but um, as a purpose of getting prepared to go back into your labor to be energized and productive. And so, um, again... There's value in rest, and, and when you neglect it, there's consequences to be paid. Uh, burnout and exhaustion and the wear and tear on your, your, your mental capabilities, your emotional capacities, your psychological makeup, they, they, they all take a beating if all you ever did was live under the intensity of the demand and expectations and the pressures of your job. So God in his wisdom said, whatever you do, take the time to take a break. So it's interesting, you know, I, I, I'm, in, I'm a triathlete, and so I'm in this world of triathlon, and uh, it's a pretty intense uh, community of people in a pursuit of, of doing uh, this sport. And, you know, there's a lot to it. You, you basically become, you know, proficient or a bit of an expert at, three different sports, swimming, biking, running, and then all of the in-between of nutrition and hydration and, and core strength. And I mean, there's just so much to it. But um, every really great training plan for triathletes insists on what's called a rest day and a recovery day or, and or a recovery day. Um, and those typically in most training plans are one day a week the plan includes not training, 
Now, you may do what's called uh, active recovery. You may do something else rather than swimming, biking, running. You may go hiking or you may um, do something that gets your blood pressure, uh, gets your heart rate up and get your blood pumping. But it's not the swimming, the biking, and the running because what what the experts have learned through the experience and the, the, the demand of triathlon is that if you just hit those same muscles, those same tendons, those same ligaments, those same organs with the intensity of training in all those really big sessions, you're going to just make yourself, um, you're going to put yourself at greater risk of injury and a level of exhaustion that then is going to compromise your performance. You're going to get so tired, you can't go out and do the training because your body just can't go anymore. So if you're not getting the sleep and you're not taking that day of rest or you're not doing that recovery where you just back it off and really avoid the intensity of a typical training uh, week, uh, it's not good. So there's just, I mean, that's a little microcosm study of the value of rest and relaxation in the course of a high-demand sort of situation uh, because that rest and relaxation provides something important. And so you see this discussion in the world of triathlon is don't neglect your rest days because the person who gets, you know, really avid about training and wanting to prepare for a big race and, and, and really be prepared for the demands, of the, the temptation is, I don't have time to rest. I got to keep training. It, it may be Monday. Monday's a lot of times the rest day because so many big training um, events happen on, you know, Saturday and Sunday people's weekends. Um, so Monday's often the rest day. But there's a big discussion in, in the world of triathlon is like uh, about people who, well, they'll just kick right back into training because it's Monday. I got to get going. And all the advice from the best experts is don't do that. Honor the rest day. It doesn't matter how itchy you might be to get out there and, you know, get some more training in. If you run at that pace without a break, you're essentially inviting injury and a level of exhaustion that's going to compromise any progress. Yeah, no, that and that those principles transfer over. And this is very closely related, but like any kind of muscle working out and you're trying to gain muscle. Yeah, specifically trying to gain muscle, rest and what what how much you sleep and rest and recover, and then food, are actually probably more important than whatever you do in the gym. But like I found, granted I'm skinny, but in the <laughs> muscle growth I have had, it occurred when I was more intentional in the gym, but I went less. Yeah, so I was more intentional with my time, but I went less. Um, and you also like mentioned sleep in general. If you relate that to your mind, I know that if I don't get enough sleep, I can't think at all. I'm actually somewhat sleep deprived right now. So if I can't remember words, that's why. <laughs> or you just start making words up. Yeah. Well, that's that. I do that whenever I'm top level of my <laughs> mental capacity. But oh yeah, the studies yeah. the studies about sleep are um, there's there's many. And the conclusions are all the same. The person who consistently neglects uh, good rhythms of sleep and the sufficient time to sleep, they are just slowly ruining themselves mm -hmm. 
physically, emotionally, psychologically, it, it just has a, an enormously detrimental effect on our life. And, and then, so, you know, looking at, you know, work becoming an idol and the, the imbalance of our kind of work-rest ratios in our society, these people who are, you know, up at the crack of dawn working 14 hours a day, coming home, grabbing a meal, watching something on TV, going, getting in bed for a couple hours and starting all over again and doing that week after week after month after month after year, uh, the toll it takes on their body and on their mind is enormous. So maybe there's a reason why God in his design established the pattern of um, rest and relaxation. And in some uh, passages, I think, makes a case for enjoying a good night's sleep and letting, in a sense, relaxing and resting in God's ability to provide that you do what you can with the time that you have and then you sleep knowing that your your father in heaven will provide for your needs and there'll be more opportunity for you to do your part but uh, sleep sleep well sleep you know long in the sense of the sufficient amount of time again just comes back to the beauty and the the mastery of, of God's creative order yeah, well, and I think we've kind of already gotten into this, but maybe some maybe we can discuss some practical steps. Um, you know, they're kind of all over the place. People talk about them. They're talking about them more now. There's a great book that I think, for from a Christian perspective, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, mm-hmm. which has a lot of really good principles in it. But maybe some practical steps or maybe safeguards, um, like you were just mentioning you just said, like, hey, do your work, but, like, do it in this a lot of time and do what you can, but then sleep. I've actually found that for myself, I have to limit, and this mainly started with COVID. I think maybe other people are experiencing this too, but if you work, for, work from home, or now that everything is more digitized, so you can take your computer home, um, the time limit for when you have to get things done in a day has gone away. So I just keep going most of the time. Yeah, I accomplish less, and it takes me longer to do anything. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not very no, that's productive, a, but that's just that's what a, tends to happen. That's a pretty typical experience. Yeah. Yeah, and so limits on my actual when I can do stuff. Like, hey, I, ha- I have to turn my computer off at 5, no ifs, ands, or buts. Right. Um, which I'm sure that once I get married, Allie will be very happy to enforce. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Do you have anything that maybe you've done um, or that God tells a, us to do? A couple of things, and... Um, just pigeon um, taking back on on your observation about COVID. So, you know, being a pastor and kind of tracking with a lot of different people's lives, um, I was certainly interested in the conversation of a lot of with a lot of executives in our church about you know their experience with them working remotely or their staff working remotely. And we have one employer here in San Antonio that literally has tens of thousands of people that work for them. And so a number of their executives attend our church. And so it was interesting to kind of get a cross-section of discussion about executives from that one particular employer. And and so I've been curious asking them questions like, um, what's the remote work experience been like? How is it affecting 
productivity for you as a company? How is it impacting sort of the camaraderie of teams and, and uh, the nature of how they work together and, and a host of other questions? And uh, one of the observations that they were that has been consistently shared is what they were finding was that with people working remotely and not having these definitive, I go, I move from home to the office and I move from the office back to home, these breaks, these kind of lines of demarcation about the day is that uh, these people and they themselves were finding themselves working all day because they, they, their computer rate was right there and the, the phone system was right there. And so they would just find themselves spending additional hours slaving away, if you will, um, trying to get stuff done, but not necessarily the big debate about whether they are more productive. But um, so it, yeah, that, that's an interesting dynamic is this, this idea of always working, which just demonstrates an imbalance. And it's what it's doing, it's revealing some sort of a, a, a list of priorities and where work falls in relationship to marriage or to children or to friendships or other, you know, pursuits of life. And so that's really um, kind of an interesting thing. Uh, remind me again, the question. Was, oh, now I have something to tag onto that, though. Okay, so, go ahead. But I've actually found, maybe this is kind of where that weirdness of, like, they don't know if they're actually being more productive. I really do think it's the time thing. I know that that's for me because I work better at home, just distraction-wise. Mm-hmm. But if but the time limits uh, that working in the office provides, I think probably helps more. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you could take the time limit, which you, you can force onto yourself, it's just hard to do. Um, if you can take the time limit and apply it at home while still getting up and not just going straight from the bed to the desk or your computer. Right. Um, I found that that is whenever I'm in my sweet spot. But. Oh, you were asking about practical. Yeah, yeah more practical steps. That yeah. was just one was like limiting time of work. Okay, so uh, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a couple of them that I'm working through and trying to master as disciplines in my life. But to do that, I got to give you a little sense of context. So I've identified what I believe are three of the greatest threats to the health of our soul. I'm not saying these are necessarily unique to me. Um, but I believe that three of the things that our society just pushes on us, it's, we're literally engulfed in it, is... Um, TikTok. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Hurry, noise, and clutter. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. So the amount of hurry that we live our lives with, um, the amount of noise that we are inundated by and you know the clutter of our lives from all of our possessions even to the kind of the emotional clutter or the relational clutter of like unresolved you know conflict and stuff like that so we have all this unfinished business yeah that um that our lives are are surrounded by and i think hurry noise and clutter wreak havoc on the soul so one of the things that I've been pursuing personally as a person 
and as a pastor is how to have a healthy soul. And so I'm trying to really honestly evaluate what is the amount of hurry of my life, what is the amount of noise that is in my life, and what is the amount of clutter in my life, and where, where are those you know, issues stemming from. And so to get really practical, um, I, th- I think that one of the great threats to a healthy soul is all the technology of things like cell phones and televisions and social media and just this enormous influx of influence yeah from a very broad spectrum of our world because basically most anything that you do on social media is essentially a global conversation there's literally millions of people from around the world who are engaging in whatever topic it is. And uh, that, that noise and that clutter that it creates in our mind, it creates tension in our soul. And so basically what you have happening is your soul's running all the time at a pace that it wasn't built for. Mm. And eventually it, it wears out. And so talk about really practical, a number of months ago, really probably more than a year now, um, I, had to, I had to just completely abandon any involvement on Twitter. Now, I wasn't really involved with Twitter as a contributor when I had a Twitter um, account. I bet you I had less than a, a hundred, you know, posts tweets, whatever, whatever they call them. But I was pretty avid about following conversations. And, and you know how it works, you know, celebrity, pundit, politician, some, you know, blue check mark, um, they make a post or they tweet. And then there's just this entire thread, literally of thousands of people who have reacted to it. And I would just get myself down into those weeds and what happened is and when you follow those conversations and they're also vitriolic and attacking and you know partisan and divisive and, and all of that stuff well you're just you're just like it's like you're consuming it you're you're consuming it through your eyes you're in a sense consuming it through your ears it's going it's creating traffic in your brain and that translates to tension in your soul and I got to the point where I started seeing, and I actually had a couple of people um, help me see that um, my um, consternation about these things that I was um, observing through Twitter were were it was having a negative impact, and I eventually had to decide how important was it for me to be in the know versus me being healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I literally came to a point saying, my soul is more important than my cultural relevance. And so I, uh, I just, I literally, I closed my, my Twitter account down. I, I, I have no activity there. Occasionally I'll read a, you know, an article about something that's unfolding on Twitter. And I, I, 
you get enough access as a guest to you can kind of go and see that thing. I'll follow that by way of research. But for me to be every day, multiple times a day, checking in on that stuff, I can't do it. And so I walked away from it because it was creating so much noise, so much clutter, so much, you know, angst inside of me that it was being unproductive. Now, I've never been a real big fan of uh, television. I, I just, I don't know. Television really doesn't do anything for me. I, I watch an occasional sporting event. I may, you know, watch a movie now and then, usually not through television, but through some, you know, um, service provider. Um, but uh, I, television's not a real big problem for me. Um I've had to I've had to wrestle with uh, a discipline about Facebook. I, I enjoy Facebook because I like the dialogue and the and the you know kind of awareness of what people are up to. It's a connection for me, but it can also you know be a pretty uh, destructive thing if you get wrapped around axles and trying to debate and you know push uh, arguments or discussions about know touchy topics so that's not the place facebook's a lousy place for that so just managing social media and the influence of uh, thoughts and ideas that technology makes so convenient was a really important um, discipline i had to start addressing yeah. in my life and I, I've, I've made some wonderful steps and some great progress still got some work to do but um, I have noticed, I've noticed the benefit to my soul. Um, I, you know what the uh, an area where I still uh, struggle with a, a good discipline. I'm a night owl, mm. so I end up staying up late, oftentimes either um, you know working on uh, like little projects that I like to build stuff and and sculpt stuff, so I, I can do that or it's just sort of some you know, watching a movie or mindlessly doing nothing as a way to kind of take a break from the demand of my job. Um, so I don't always go to bed at a decent hour, which then makes it harder on the, the flip side the next morning to get yep. out of bed. Um, so I'm very conscientious of that and, and wanting to change that to be more disciplined about going to bed at a decent hour, getting a good night's sleep, so that I can get an earlier start on my day. Uh, so, I, so you asked me what are some of the practical things I'm doing. That that would be one that I need to do. I yeah. feel like I could do a better job. All the ones yeah. you just listed, it's funny. I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. And, you know, my job revolves heavily around social media. So it's kind of hard to completely disconnect yourself from it. But, because, I mean... If I have the church's social media account, it's hard not to also go look at mine, right? Yeah, because you're and right so, there. Yeah, yeah I'm right there. Phone, the same I app. I just press like a button. And then sleep is also um, something that I've... But maybe luckily, iPhones um, are getting pretty good about being able to add limits. So it's like, I like... Well, now I'm ideas basically making it to where if I need to do anything for the church stuff. social media, I have to deal with enough ideas, here. apparently. Um, Taking it off my phone. Ideas, and I like reading books, and so a lot of... What I like um, doing in my some of, a lot of what I like doing in my free time, which is an average day, set up and it looks to similar to work, kind of. But of I don't get to do 
of what the actual that when I'm working throughout the day. And so it'll push into later in the night, you know, you get to do whatever it is that you want to do. Right. Um, but then, yeah, I get a later start to the day. So those are, those are pretty big, pretty big things that are, uh, necessary to get in place and get right. But so sleep, cutting out whatever it is that's noise. Um, like I jokingly said, TikTok, but that was kind of what I was getting to. It's like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's right there in that yeah. social media and there's, there's 50 other different platforms and apps that got people, you know, literally hooked on them. And yes. take huge amounts of time and energy away from uh, the things that they should be. And TikTok's focused. the worst as far as like as it is the best thing that we have ever created that will steal your time <laughs> and attention. Yeah, like I've never really had too much of a hard time with it, just because I never thought that most of them were funny. Um, but like everybody I talk to, they're just like, "Yeah, I hate TikTok." They never delete it. But he's like, "I'll get on there for like ten minutes, and it's an hour." Yeah. Literally steals your life. Yeah, I, I don't have it because I've heard enough horror stories about it that I'm like, no, I would be too prone to just keep scrolling through the next thing that uh, I don't need to go there. And No, well, their privacy, what they can take from your phone yeah. is also very loose. So Yeah, so it's interesting to think about this in terms of like first century following Jesus, and there there weren't these kinds of resources at people's disposal, but there was still plenty of opportunity for people to um, avoid being industrious and um, not pursuing lives of convenience, comfort, and, and, and leisure. And so we still come back. You think of a verse like um, in the book of Ephesians, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So when the Apostle Paul wrote that to the church at Ephesus, um, he, wasn't, he wasn't thinking about TikTok and Twitter and, and Facebook and Reddit and all those things. So he had another reason that he was admonishing the early church to be careful about how they distributed their time. Yeah. And we may not know all the ins and outs of what that might have looked like in the first century, but there was sufficient cultural reasons for him to to warn Christ followers, you got to be careful with how you manage your time because time is a valuable commodity. You don't know how much of it you have. Um, it's a stewardship that you've been entrusted to take care of, and so... You want to use your time in ways that are honoring to God. And he says, because the days are evil, it's so easy for the human soul to become seduced and distracted by really lousy uses of time that end up stealing our joy, our peace, our, our experience of eternal life on this earth. And so while they were dealing with different things, they were still dealing with the things just different tools or methods yeah, now it's different cultural experiences between the first century and 21st century but the principle are the same yep. it's just the challenges are different and so um, i think there's plenty of instruction and admonition throughout the scriptures from the book of proverbs all the way to the new testament letters that would be um, saying to the christ follower uh, be a hard worker, 
be a dependable contributor to your society and provide for yourself and for those that you're responsible for. Be industrious, put your hand to the plow and be a faithful employee or, a, you know, a, a, an honorable employer. Uh, work hard. Uh, I mean, it's the design of God. And then the scriptures would also make a strong case for there's a place and a purpose for taking a break and relaxing and recreating um, in a way that kind of renews your soul and prepares you to go back into the labor that, that you've been called to do. And um, like I said earlier, there's there's benefits and blessings that we, you know, Bible calls them blessings, but essentially there's benefits or returns that come with us following God's design. And all I'm trying to do as a person who is a Christian, and then all I'm trying to do as a pastor is really think through what does this look like in the 21st century and and give guidance about how my life might reflect a balance between the two. So to work hard but not be obsessive about it and to also uh, recreate hard and not be embarrassed or ashamed about taking the time to be, you know, away and, and to relax. So it's interesting, um, when I first got started in ministry in my uh, early to mid-30s, full-time ministry, um, at the time, this was been the, the mid-90s, it was pretty. It was a pretty popular thing that all these big flagship churches in America they would host conferences. So there was church growth, church growth conferences, and there were leadership conferences and small group conferences and worship conferences, and you know they all had different themes. And I generally tracked along with the conferences that were about leadership or church health and discipleship. And there was a couple that you know I went to every year. And it took me a couple years to kind of um, identify this, but I, it started to become a really obvious pattern is I'd go to these conferences and, and they would always have these amazing faculties of, you know, these prominent popular pastors who had these huge churches would come and they would be the speakers. And I, I started noticing a theme that every one of these really prominent pastors, you know, fastest growing church in America, and they written books, and they, they uh, podcasts weren't really a thing then. So, but they had platforms that people knew them, and every one of them was telling the story of burnout. That there came this place in their ministry as pastors where they they. They fried themselves uh, physically, emotionally, psychologically, or they were telling stories of having so mismanaged their lives that they had damaged their marriages and either you know affairs or divorces or you know, separations, or they had literally um, ruined their relationship with their their children, and it's something like some very serious stories emotional breakdowns um and and i remember as a young you know pastor this young impressionable pastor sitting in the audience thinking to myself well i don't want to do that 
Yeah. I don't want that to happen to me. And being the big fan of wisdom that I am, I, I, I started thinking of it in terms of the fact that there's two ways to be wise. Uh, according to the book of Proverbs, there's two ways to be wise. You can, you can make all the mistakes yourself, suffer the consequences, and learn the lessons the hard way, and then go, I'm not going to do that again. And you can become wise that way. The other way is you can watch other people make the mistakes and suffer the consequences, and you can draw lessons from it and say, oh, they did this this way, and it did not go well for them, so I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to avoid those consequences. That's another way to become wise. And I remember very specifically thinking, this is after maybe like five or six years of attending these conferences and hearing the same theme. I, I, I was saying, okay, Paul, what choices are you going to make what disciplines are you going to put into place that will protect you from ever getting to that point where these stories were coming from? And so I had to make, I had to do a lot of thinking. Uh, at about my 10 year mark here at Cibolo, uh, so we started in 1996, so about 10 years into it, I started noticing some kind of stretch, stress fractures in in my life and in my soul related to the demands of being a pastor in in a church. And it kind of scared me because I'm like, oh, this is, this is where it begins, just living under these expectations and trying to meet everybody's definition of what a pastor should be. And I, I went through a, a period of introspection and really thought through how am I going to keep myself healthy? How am I going to prepare myself for a sustainable run as a pastor. And some of the choices that I made uh, involved a balance of, of work and rest. And um, one of the big choices I made is I had, to, I had to recognize I couldn't be responsible for other people's choices. I could counsel, I could advise, I could offer input, I could hope and pray and plead with them to, you know, pursue a certain path. But in the end, at the end of the day, if they chose something different and it did not go well for them, I couldn't shoulder that. Yeah, It may break my heart, make me sad for them, but I couldn't carry that around for them. And so there was a sense to which I sort of insulated my soul from really um, sharing the the burden of their brokenness. It, not that I didn't care, but I just couldn't be responsible for their choices. Some of the other decisions that I made had to do with this balance of, of work and rest. And I decided, you know what, Paul, whatever people may think, they may think you're lazy or undisciplined or not committed or that you're somehow, you know, neglecting your responsibility. Um, there were times I had to work, and I had to work hard, and there were seasons where the pace was pretty stiff. But I had to be okay with my day off and honoring it and protecting it and not being shy about saying no to things that would you know, uh, intrude on it. I had to be comfortable with the fact that I, I couldn't do everything. I couldn't be at every hospital bed. I couldn't do every funeral. I couldn't conduct every wedding. I, um, 
I, you know, if, if I said yes to every opportunity to that, I, I would be occupied every weekend and I would have not have been available to coach my son's baseball teams or to be at their, you know, band performances. And, and so I just had to make some decisions about saying no to pastor things so that I could be a healthy, balanced person kind of individual. And uh, I remember, this is years ago now, but uh, I had a woman, uh, this couple were really close friends, but uh, the wife came up to me one time and she said, hey, listen, we had a big meeting. You were the only one who wasn't there. It was conspicuous that the pastor of our church was not at this meeting. But then I learned that you were um, with your wife at a concert that you guys had booked months in advance, and you were willing to honor that as opposed to being at this important meeting. She said, that meant the world to me. That meant that you were honoring the kinds of things that you're trying to teach us. And so I know, I'm aware, because people say things or I hear things through the grapevine, I know some people would like me to be at more things to do more things, to be available at more times than I am. But at the same time, I'm not in it for their approval. And secondly, I'm in it for the long run. I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. And so I just have to hold to these disciplines that I work hard during the hours that are most constructive for me during the week. And then I, I have to rest hard and I have to not be ashamed or intimidated by what people may think about that. And, uh, you know, so far that's panned out well. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm in a pretty sustainable place after 25 years. And um, again, I, we've said this at least twice now in this podcast, going back to that design the benefits of honoring it are um, really fulfilling and rewarding. And I'm trying to live out that design by honoring what I find in the book of Proverbs, what I find in the book of Ecclesiastes, what I find in the New Testament letters about this careful balance between working hard and playing hard and distributing that in the course of our life in keeping with God's design. Um, it's just the wisest way to go about living your life. Yeah. Well, I think that story gave a really good example of how someone can assess their own life. I think a lot of times people look for like a quick fix. It's like, well, I just need to do this. But everybody's situation is different. They have different responsibilities that are failing or different things that are falling through the cracks, different relationships, all of those things. And so I think that you telling that story gave a really good example of how one can do that in their own life, things to assess, and then just doing whatever it is that's necessary that you most people know is a thing. It wouldn't take them that long if they sat down and thought about it. Yeah. And so, but. Yeah, a lot of people don't don't give the time and energy to think through that sort of thing. They don't have to do their life the way I do my life. Yeah. They have to steward their life in keeping with their gifts, their talents, their personality, their ambitions that God has placed in their, their heart. And their life may end up looking very differently than mine. They may run at a pace that's very different than mine. They may choose to distribute the 
the hours and the minutes of work and rest differently than I do. I'm not looking for someone to replicate my life. I'm what I'm more interested in is watching people understand the wisdom of the principles that God establishes in the scripture and then prayerfully and carefully deciding how that how that works in in their stewardship and then enjoying the 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 prosperity or the blessing of them living in God's design the way that they discern to be best. Indeed. Well, anything else? Last words? Last words. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to leave you with this thought. It's, it's interesting from a study of the life of Jesus. Um, you never see him in a rush. He's always walking around. Well, I don't know. But he seems like everybody always thinks about him. There's no account that uses language that Jesus was panicked yeah. about being one place or another, about doing one thing or another. In fact, uh, we see some uh, illustrations of maybe the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Mary and Martha are so put out with Jesus that he wasn't there, you know, to keep Lazarus from dying. And he has almost, uh, I don't want to say a nonchalant, but he certainly doesn't have a panicked um, response like, oh, I'm so sorry that I wasn't here. He, no, he he got there when he did. Yeah, because he's told about it, and he's like, eh, we'll, we'll go another day. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's dead. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it, there's no panic there. There's no kind of this um, stress and, and rush about it. Uh, there's a wonderful illustration of it in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Jesus has been in this particular region healing all these people in this kind of you know intense season of ministry. And then one morning, he just slips off into you know a place of quiet to kind of renew his heart with his father. And in Mark chapter 1, uh, down verse 35 or so, uh, the disciples, they come looking for him, and their question is, where have you been? There's people looking for you. And so they have this sense of urgency, like there's things to do and places to go and people to see, and you need. they're looking for you and want you and need you. And he's like, well, I, I'm not going to be able to meet with them. In fact, it's time for us to leave. we got to move on. And then he just walks away from all this unmet need, all these unfulfilled expectations. And... Um, and yet at the end of his life, he says to the Father, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. So he had this intense focus. He knew what his priorities were. He was very value-based in how he went about living his life. And without being in a hurry, without a lot of noise and clutter in his soul, he quietly went about doing what he was given to do, and I think there's some remarkable example there for us to take note of. And again, this is the part where you know I, I risk people being disappointed in me, but I am intentionally trying to live my life without feeling the panic of hurry that I have all of these expectations to meet and these things I have to do by other people's expectations for me um, and go about what I believe to be my calling at the pace that I believe best reflects my spirit and my gifts and my uh, priorities. 
And if I don't get done everything that maybe successful pastors get done in a day, a week, a month, and a year, I'm going to be okay with that. Because I'm very intentionally trying to replicate a model that I find in Jesus of not being in a hurry and not feeling this, you know, um, intensity of pace that really robs me of peace and joy and a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus was not without purpose. He just wasn't running at a pace that reflects somebody who's, you know, um, panicked about getting it all done. He lived his life very intentionally. Like, he knew what was most valuable to him, what was most important, um, and he did, he implemented things and, and lived his life accordingly. And so... Maybe that's why we are invited to be like Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that. Maybe so. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.